All right, Philippians chapter 1 in your Bibles, please. What's the saying go? The weather outside is frightful, but the preaching is so delightful. I'm not sure that's how it goes, but should. All right, so. <laughs> we'll see in a minute. You can see if it's delightful or not. We don't know, but uh, Pastor Yeomans is going to be gone this week. So Pastor Levi and Aloma got to go away for a little bit. I'm stuck, I'm stuck here. Every time I try to leave the country, something bad happens to me. So I am staying here for a while. <laughs> Hopefully not too long. I'm hoping to go away in April. So we'll see if that works out. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to try to jinx it. So I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to jinx it. All right. So uh, Philippians chapter one, what's on your prayer list? Do you keep a prayer list? Do you have, uh, even if it's not physical, mentally, I'm sure you have a prayer list. I would hope and think that you would think through your family members, uh, health needs, people in the church. Now we've talked about uh, the hornblowers being in need of prayer, some, family, some part of your church family that need prayer. I hope that you'll add the hornblowers to your prayer list. And I hope that you have something that you pray through on a regular basis. When I pray... Often I use words like this. I'll say, bless so-and-so, help so-and-so. Nothing wrong with that, but I use those words often. I'll you know, help Pastor Yeomans deliver a good message and you know, bless uh, you know, this family and that family, and we pray those words. Now, nothing wrong with that, but as we read here in Philippians, we'll see that Paul's prayer is a little deeper than a bless, help. He has some depth to his prayer here in Philippians chapter 1. We started this a couple weeks ago. We're going to go through the rest of this prayer. And this is a prayer that you ought to pray for yourself. It's a prayer that our staff should pray for you. This is, this is Paul praying for the Philippian church. And what is on his heart? What is on his mind? What is his desire for the Philippian church? Well, we'll find that here in Philippians chapter 1. And we'll begin reading here in verse number 9. The Bible says this, and this I pray, and I want you to notice this, that we're going to kind of break it down into segments as we talk about studying the Word of God. Our small groups are going to talk about how to study God's Word. Here's a hint on studying God's Word. Look at the punctuation. Take a sentence and kind of dissect it in your mind. There are four uh, semicolons here, and they, they divide into four thoughts, all right? So first thought, this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, semicolon, all right? So on your outline, if you have it from before or have a new one, learn to love is his prayer, that they would learn to love, that they would have a always expanding, but not ever expanding, but always discerning love, that your love would abound with knowledge and judgment. We talked a little bit about love not being an emotion, but a choice, and love not being the same as acceptance because you can love somebody and not accept their behavior just the way God loved you when you were a sinner. He doesn't accept our behavior, but he loves us. And so we can love. That's a always abounding but discerning type of love to love without acceptance at times. So learn to love. That's chapter 1, verse number 9. The second part, verse number 10. That ye may approve things that are excellent. Semicolon. Point number two. Here's another thought. I'm going to pray that you learn to love. Number two, that you would choose the best. Right? We, we had a little illustration up here two weeks ago. We played um, Price is Right game. Easy to put in order. Uh, things that have monetary value. We, we were able to put these in order from the cheapest to the most expensive. That's easy to do. But more difficult 
when we went back and played the same game, we talked about priorities. Is it more important to take the overtime at work or spend time with your family? Well, the answer to that, in my opinion, is at different times, both of those are the right answer. So Paul's prayer is that you'll learn to choose the excellent choice in every situation. So this week, you're going to make priority choices of what you're going to do. There will be ministry opportunity. There will be time to relax. There will be time to spend time with family. There will be work opportunity. All those things. How do you choose the best? Well, Paul says, I'm praying for you, church, that you'll learn to approve the things that are excellent, the very best choices. All right, so that was a recap of the first message of this. Number three, we'll look here. Verse number 10, that you may approve the things that are excellent, semicolon here, and then that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, semicolon. Point number three, his prayer is that you just be real. Be real. That you would be sincere and without offense is the prayer that Paul prays for the Philippian church. Sincere, it's a great word. It's a great compliment, right? If you said, that person is very sincere. That's, a, there's almost, that's not a backhanded compliment. There's almost no way to look at that in a bad way. They're very sincere. Sincere, the, the English word for, that we use sincere, um, it really has the background of the phrase, and this is kind of strange, but I'll explain it. Some of you may know this. It means without wax, all right? So sincere is two words, means without wax. And so when you, when you are sincere, have you ever been to a wax museum? So when you're sincere, like it's the real deal, you're without wax. That's not really where it came from. We didn't come from a wax museum. Let me give you where it came from, all right? So back in the day, <laughs> they had pottery, all right? So lots of, uh, in the, the Greek and Roman world, most things were made out of pottery, right? And so often in the shaping of pottery, whether it be a glass or a cup or whatever, because of imperfections in the clay or maybe in a mistake by the potter himself, there would be a crack in the pottery. It would be not as complete, not as good, not as usable. And often the sellers of the pottery who wanted to make more money would take wax and fill in the cracks of the pottery. All right. And so that would last for a while, but eventually that wax would wear off and you'd have a cracked pot. Not a crack pot, but a cracked pot. All right. And, and uh, you would have a cracked pot. And so some of the uh, potters in the day, the market in the market, they would start advertising. What I when I read this week is that they would actually advertise their pot product as without wax. Buy my product, I sell my products without wax. And so the word sincera would be the idea of like, here it is, buy my pottery, no wax included. All right, so a wax was a bad thing in pot, and or if it got out in the sun and got heated up, that wax would melt and it would become not as uh, whole, not as useful, right? So that's the idea of the English word without wax, all right? Uh, so honest people label their products as sincere, without wax. Now the Greek word, all right? So the Greek word's different. The Greek word is uh, not sincere. The Greek word in the Bible here is also an interesting word that the Bible translated as sincere. The Greek word is a two-part word. Again, it means this, sun-tested, 
All right, so this one word, sincere, it means without wax. It also means sun-tested. What does that mean? Well, what you could do in the pottery, if you're looking through for pottery, you could take that pottery and you can hold it up in the sun and give it the once-over in the bright light, and you can see if there's any wax in there. If it was tested by the sun, you could see if there was any flaws in it, right? Also, again, put it out in the heat, let it heat up for a while. You would, it would quickly test the wax to see if it was whole. So both the English word and the Greek word have the same idea that there is not trying to cover your crack with wax, not trying to cover your imperfections with wax, right? And so that's the idea of sincere, sincera. And here's the idea. The idea is not that we we all have um, our imperfections, right? There's nobody here that's perfect, I don't believe. In fact, if, if I want to say it this way, we, we are all cracked pots, <laughs> right? We're broken. I, I wish I could sit up here and say, like, man, I have got it all together and I got it all figured out. And, you know, I've had, but if you look at my life over the last month, months, day, hours, there's times where I don't act the way I should. I am not by any means a perfect person. So the idea of being sincere is not that you don't have imperfections, that you try to cover your imperfections with wax so that everybody else thinks that you're something that you're not, right? And you try to sell yourself off as something that you're not. And the Bible here says that you ought to be sincere. You ought to not, it's the opposite of being a, hypo, a hypocrite, hypocrisy, like to try to cover up and make, make it look like you got it all under control. You don't. In fact, one of the best things about small group is that you are in a smaller group where you can be more real with each other. Do you have people in your life that you can be real with? Hey, I get it. Like, if I have a bad day or a bad Saturday night or whatever, and I come into church and you say, hey, pastor, how you doing? I'm not going to unload on you right there at the front door. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to say, hey, I'm doing all right. Yeah. Is that being a hypocrite? Am I being unreal with you? No. But I, I need to have people in my life where I can be real. And I, I'm just, the idea of it is being in church and being in ministry together with real people, not trying to put on an act, not trying to put on a fake. This church ought to be full. What, what's the biggest complaint about churches for people who don't go to churches? It's full of hypocrites. Have we earned that? In some ways we probably have. And Paul says, my prayer for your church in Philippi, in Philippi They'd be sincere. Don't, don't be filling your imperfections with wax to try to push yourself off as something that you're not. But then he says this, and I think this is interesting, that you be sincere and without offense. Okay, interesting. I think that's a, there's a balance there. As you are real without each other, be without offense. Here, here's what some people say. Well, if you don't like who I am, tough. Deal with it. This is who I am. I'm a real, this is me real, so if you don't like it, too bad for you. Well, that kind of does add up to the first part of the verse about being real. The second part of the verse says, do it without, without being offensive, without being, causing other people to stumble and fall. How can you be real and not be causing other people to fall? That's the balance. Again, that's walking spiritually, and, and again, you don't have to be perfect. It's okay to say, oh, hey, I, I've messed up. I made a mistake. I, I've, I apologize. 
That's being real. Try to do it without causing others to stumble. Don't be offended or offensive as you're real with each other. As we do life together, as you live in community, this is our church family. And as we do life together, there ought to be a realness to us, but also a desire not to offend or cause other people to stumble. And both of those are true. And that's why Paul's simple little prayer of three verses has so much depth that you may be sincere and without offense. Be real. All right, number two, or number four, actually, <laughs> if we're going through on your outline, number four. He says here, look at uh, verse number 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Number three, that you be fruitful. He said, my prayer is that you be real and you be fruitful. Now, way back in the beginning of time, God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful. This is totally different than that kind of be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. This is a different kind of fruitful altogether. But God says here, Paul says, I want you to be filled with fruit or fruitful, filled with fruit in your life. So if I said to you that I'm praying for you this year, I'm going to say, John, leaves me, I'm praying for you this year. John, I'm praying that you'll be fruitful. That's a good prayer. I mean, it's a, it's a biblical prayer. But what does that mean to you? If I said, I'm praying for you that your life will be fruitful this year, that you would uh, be filled with fruit, how would you define that fruitfulness or success in a year or in a, in a period of time? So there's all kinds of answers, but Paul's answer is this. Look at the, look at the verse. They be filled with the fruits of righteousness. He's talking about the fruits of righteousness. Be filled with the fruits of righteousness. That they be right acts, to be righteous acts, good deeds in your life, that people will see in your life something different because you're living a life that's filled with the fruit. Fruit is something you look at to tell, to identify a tree as what kind of tree it is, right? And so are there actions, deeds, examples in your life that show the righteousness of Jesus Christ? That's Paul's prayer. For the church. That Paul's prayer for the church was not like, well, I pray that like when you come to church for that hour that you'll be on your very best behavior and you'll really listen, really be good here in that hour and then go do whatever you want. His prayer, he, it wasn't so much about what happened in the hour, it was having the rest of the week. That you'd be filled with fruit. Be real and be fruitful. That was on his heart, that was his desire. All right? And we see here Jesus is the source. He says, be filled with the fruits of the righteousness, which, is, which are by Jesus Christ. You have no power, no ability to do the right thing in the right situation without the power of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the driving force, which are by Jesus Christ. The story is told of a, a man named Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia was a uh, military guy and a archaeologist back in the First World War, right? Maybe you've heard the name Lawrence of Arabia. There's a movie about him. On one occasion after the war, he brought some Arabs back to London, England. All right. Uh, he put them up in a beautiful hotel, took care of them. These were men that were used to living in tents. They were Bedouins or nomads. They never had a home. They never had a house. They, they, all they had was tents. And they lived with the, that camel lifestyle, moving from place to place. And he brought them to London to show them all the beauty and splendor, put them in a beautiful hotel and kept them there for a few days. And one thing that really fascinated them was the ample supply of water. See, and, and, and honestly, it makes sense. In the Middle East, there'd be water was life, and water is life still, but it wasn't so available. And so the faucets in the hotel really took, kept their attention. That All they had to do is 
turned the knob and water came out. He thought that was amazing and unbelievable. Well, the day came when they had to pack up, and they, they went to, to pack up, and as they did, he checked their bags, and he found in their bags <laughs> the faucets. They had taken the faucets from the hotel. I only have a faucet because I'm in the middle of rebuild, remodeling. This is why we have a faucet, all right? This is not attached, all right? Just so you know. And so in their back, they had taken the, they thought, if we can take the faucets, we'll have the water. We laugh because that's foolish. We understand that the faucet is just a delivery of the source. They don't have the source of water. The faucet do no good, right? And so they can take all the faucets back all they want, but it would do no good. They'd still be without water. But listen, Often we as Christians live our life, we're just the faucet. The source of, of our righteousness, the source of, uh, and the power to live the right life comes through Jesus Christ. And as we disconnect from the source, we'll have no water to come out. We'll have no righteousness to come out. We'll, we'll get dried up. We'll get burnt out. We'll get hurt. But if we continue to stay connected to the source, there's always water. You're just a faucet. You're not the source. And, this, and Paul says, I pray you that you be filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. It's not by your own power or your own strength. Connect to Jesus Christ. Just be the, just be the faucet to bring out the good works. And so I pray, our prayer as a staff for you is that you be filled with the fruits of righteousness by Jesus Christ. And he says this, unto the glory and praise of God. In all things, God gets the glory. See, when you live your life, and you learn to love, and you make the best choice, and you're real, sincere, and without offense, and you're filled with fruits of righteousness that flow from Jesus Christ out of you, God gets the glory. And that's, that is Paul's prayer. Like, you know, I want, I'm not in Philippi. I left you there to be the glory of God in Philippi. And my prayer is that you learn to love, make the best choice, be real, and be fruitful so that God could be glorified. Will you make this your prayer? Will you make this your desire this week? Will you, as you go this week, desire, Lord, help me to be fruitful today. Flow, let, let, let your righteousness flow through me to others around me. I, I don't have the power of my own. I want it to be you that flows through me. And Lord, help me to be real. Help me to be, I, I don't want to put a, any kind of fake thing on. Or just, I don't want to offend anybody either while I do this. I just want to be real, and I want to live a real life that's pleasing to you and helpful to others. Lord, help me today to be real and be fruitful. What a prayer. What a prayer. And I hope that this will be a challenge to you to pray and live in a life that would be pleasing to the Lord. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? A New Year's prayer, we call it, just because we're in the new year. It's not a New Year's prayer. It's a prayer that Paul prayed. We don't know when he prayed it. He said, this is my heart's desire for the church of Philippi. It's our heart's desire for you as a church. It should be our heart's desire for ourselves to live a life that in the end brings glory to God. Can I ask you with your heads bowed and eyes closed to think about how your life might look different this week? If you learn to love, if you learn to love somebody, even though you didn't accept what they did, but you could learn to love them in spite of that, 
even we learned to love, even if there was no really attra- nothing really attractive there, like God loved us when we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. When we were unattractive, God loved us. What would your life look like if you learned to love? What would your life look like if you chose the best this week and you asked the Lord to help you make choices of priorities that were pleasing to him? Because it's not always the same answer, but there is always a best answer. That God would help you. What would your life look like if you made the best choices this week? What would your life look like if you were just real? You put down, you dropped uh, the show and the act, and you found some people that were other Christians that you could be real around and just be yourself. What would your life look like if you were fruitful and you saw yourself now as a faucet, letting the righteousness of Christ flow through you? What would your life look like? How would it be different? I can't answer that for you. And if you don't want to take the time to answer it for yourself, I can't help you. I'm just trying to explain to you what the Bible says and how it applies to us. In the end, if we all did that, Bible Baptist Church and you as an individual would bring glory to God. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this time, for this study, for your, uh, these verses. Help us to be real and help us to be fruitful. And Lord, I pray that in all things you might receive the glory from our lives and from our church. In your precious name we pray. Amen.